Hello, Fight fans, and welcome to the Hollywood Brunettes Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Matt, the store brand Keanu. Alongside me is my tag team partner, The Danimal. How's it going, Matty? Fighter Fest 2021, AEW, finally took to the road. First time in front of live audience in gosh knows how long. First impressions, Danimal, what'd you think? I mean, it just continues to be that these guys just stack their fucking cards. Like, I was so impressed by, and I guess, you know, they're getting back on the road, so they kind of want to do with a bang. But, I mean, I felt like there were three or four matches on each night of it that could have headlined the show, and I would have been content with it. Um, so, yeah, just really impressed by the amount of quality product they came out the gate with. Couldn't agree more. And in fact, I think it really was fascinating to me, like the matches when I initially saw the lineups that were coming out, the ones that I thought would go over the easiest actually seemed to kind of stall in the live audience. Like they actually didn't gain the the pop that I was expecting just because I, I think that the true fans who are in attendance really have bought into the AEW structure where every night is kind of a unique match matchup and it's not necessarily based on continuity. But uh, we'll, we'll dive into that here. In fact, uh, this first match is actually a great launching point for this theory I had. The uh, John Moxley uh, versus Carl Anderson, the old uh, Bullet Club rivalry from uh, back in New Japan. Now, this is uh, some folks, I believe, view this as kind of a criticism of AEW, their desire to want to implement particularly New Japan, but some of these more independent uh, circuits into their programming. And sometimes at the detriment to the casual fan who may have no idea what's going on. I think this was a perfect middle ground where you take a guy like Carl Anderson, who you see on TV a lot, but if you haven't been watching regularly, you really don't understand the extent of his abilities. And to kind of see him go one on with uh, John Moxley, who's just fresh back for the most part, it was it was quite a quite a feat. Yeah, I agree. I think it's one of those things where if you if you don't really know too much, it seems like very much kind of a like throw-in match where it's like, why is Moxley fighting like you know? elite member you know four or five depending where you land with him and doc gallows it's like kenny and the bucks and then them um <laughs> but i i think it still worked because one you're getting anderson who's just great between the ropes and i think that is kind of an aew strength that when they do these throw you know what could be seen as a throwaway match because i didn't feel that way about it it still gives a great product. It's not kind of the like, oh, I don't know much about this guy. Therefore, I, you know, I think if you're a casual fan, you're probably like, oh, Mox is just going to roll this guy. And he didn't. And, you know, whether you want to call it the storytelling or just the understanding of how good in the ring Anderson is, I, I think it was still a great way to kick the show off. I think there's a huge philosophical difference, I, obviously for a variety of reasons between WWE and AEW. But I think one of the biggest ones I'm picking up on and granted, I admittedly have only been catching up on the programming for a number of months here. Like I haven't been a day one fan other than casually picking up things on the internet. So I may be completely off base here with my tinfoil hat theory. But um, I feel like rather than doing the WWE method, which is so based in the American soap opera of just continually rolling forward. And so that way, when you have those horrific you know, moments like Vince McMahon, you know, dropping the N-bomb or things like that in their programming. They just keep pushing forward, so it just gets buried. Um, I feel like AEW actually does the opposite, and they actually want you to realize there's history to some of these guys. 
and that you may be catching them at a different phase in their career. But like, I felt like so much of the hype to this Moxley Carl Anderson match was to remind folks like, Hey, you should check out some of the new Japan matches. They're probably on YouTube right now and realize how Carl Anderson, like why he was so hyped and why the bullet club thing, like, even though it kind of never really took off well in the States was such a significant thing. It's almost like they acknowledge the history and they want their fans to actually watch a match in Wikipedia, whatever they're seeing to like pull up new, uh, you know, entries, find out new aspects of their superstars. No, I think that's a great point um, because, you know, you get it a lot with uh, the announced team, especially I think JR, you know, everyone kind of imagines him as the WWE guy and then he'll reference, he's like, oh, and these guys have history dating back to overseas in Japan. And it's not, you know, I think we always end up comparing, but how can you help but do it in WWE when it's like, there's just this, like, you know, it's like the, I, I guess I'll just be my second, like, weird relationship comparison. It's like the guy that gets, like, the new girlfriend then wants to pretend she didn't date anyone beforehand. It's just like, oh, and these two competitors <laughs> are really hitting it off together. It's like, yeah, of course they fucking, you know, of course they're having a good match. These guys wrestled fucking eight times over in Japan, like. It's stupid to not acknowledge that, you know, these wrestlers had careers that predate AEW and where they are right now. So I think it's a really good way that you can also kind of explain that, that you don't need, you know, Moxley and Anderson cutting promos at each other for three weeks to explain why this match matters. Instead, it's just like, hey, these guys have history. If you want to look it up, great. If you don't, this is why they're heated. And it's just a quick and easy way to give you a great match in, you know, two weeks time and not have to do this fake build. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And frankly, as far as I'm concerned, anything that limits the amount of backstage interviews that need to be pressed in there. Like, I, I love the backstage interview. Don't get me wrong. But like when you continually have to rely on those to move the storylines along, it gets a little frustrating and it can really grind things to a halt, particularly to a live crowd where it's like half the time you're seeing in ring action, the other time you're just paying good money to watch a giant Jumbotron broadcast of what you could have seen at home. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm a huge fan. So uh, Moxley came back, took out Carl Anderson, retained the IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship, um, which actually I believe he defended on the evening, the final evening of Fighter Fist, which we will conclude with as we move along. Okay, so real quick before we leave Moxley, what are your thoughts on the new music? Wild thing. I believe he debuted it previous to when he went out um, for the birth of his child because um, I could have sworn I saw uh, Eddie Kingston shuffling to the ring to that tune at least once. Um, I kind of hate it. <laughs> I think... Okay, good. I think it's something to do with his connection to Cleveland and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or something, but it, it bugs me because he goes from so gritty and tough to just kind of almost a joke in my eyes once that thing kicks off. So that okay, that's exactly where I landed. Cause I think the song became so synonymous with Charlie Sheen's character in Major League, which is, you know, a great comedy and it's kind of lighthearted and screwball. And it's like, he's got the fans, you know, doing the, I think I love you. And then, yeah, he all of a sudden is having the death match next week. So I, I, I just feel like if it's, if that's what they're going for, it just doesn't really fit. And I, I'm a little bummed by it. Cause you know, I'd rather Moxley just have kind of a, 
the slightly stereotypical, just kind of like aggressive rock music to match the fact that he's just an aggressive dude. Well, we'll get into it, particularly as we get into the Chris Jericho portion of Fighter Fest. But I, I do believe that it's fascinating, like in, in a more, much more wrestler focused uh, league, per se, or whatever company, AEW as opposed to WWE. I feel like the, the, the workers who are being rewarded, they are given certain luxuries that we, you know, were kind of unheard of outside of, you know, every now and then you get a CM Punk who, you know, all of a sudden changes his, uh, you know, entrance theme to live in color. But uh, aside from that, I feel like in AEW, I, they're actually kind of pushing some of these, these guys who have really like put in the work and helped put the, the show over with kind of, you know, a grab bag, like, what do you want? Like, you know, we'll, we'll go out and get it for you. I mean, we got plenty of money to go around. And um, yeah, I think you're just seeing like some of these guys who are reaching closer to that middle age range where something in their eyes is really, really cool is actually pretty lame. And uh, unfortunately, as a person who's also rapidly approaching that level of, of age, I can, I can relate to an extent, but. Um, okay. That, that does make sense because I'd heard that, um, jungle boys theme song was a gift from tony khan with a tarzan boy so it would make sense that that was kind of like a hey you know we're putting a lot of you know investment into you and here's how we're going to show it so okay i guess that makes sense but i love i love the idea of moxley's like grappling voice like hey we want to give you a song and it's like what do you think thinking wild thing (laughs) like all right I mean, like I said, I, I can relate. Like I, for the longest time, was so proud of the fact that like pretty much the only sound or the only music I listened to was the Top Gun soundtrack until I was working in a restaurant and I told my staff that. And they all looked at me like I was the biggest lame who's just stuck in the 80s ever. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, a- time and age has a way of making it happen to the best of us. All right, moving on to the future of AEW, Ricky Starks taking on Brian Cage with the assistance of Hook and Powerhouse Hobbs. Before we dive into any of this, like again, admitting that I've only been covering watching AEW for a limited frame of time, I didn't realize the FTW belt was unsanctioned and it was just something purely created by them as an excuse to have a belt. That's brilliant in my eyes. Yeah, I, I heard something too where Taz was like, FTW belt's never been sanctioned any promotion. So I like that Taz in his own nature just kind of created a belt that at any given time he could just like take his ball and go home with. Like he could just bust it out or be like, I'm defending the belt tonight. It's like, we didn't give that to you. It's like, try and stop me. So I think this was an absolute win on both sides. I think that Ricky Starks has a lot of potential. Um, just, I don't know how far his in-ring abilities will take him. I do know that he has mastered kind of that thing that The Rock, I think, brought to wrestling, which is you stand in front of a mirror for 10,000 hours and you perfect every mannerism you're going to implement into your mic skills and entrance walk and all that. So he certainly has charisma for days in that factor. But I also think, on the other hand, it frees up your boy Brian Cage to actually really just run rampant in any direction he wants to go. And uh, I, I think he's earned the right to no longer be kind of held within a, fra- a faction uh, and actually be an independent wrestler again. 
No, I think I think that's a great point. I think that uh, Ricky Starks has that quality that he's going to do really well with, you know, a powerhouse Hobbs to constantly be, you know, helping to stack the deck in his favor. You got Taz who, after, you know, the screwball finish that lets you know it was all a conspiracy to take the title off Cage. You know, I think a guy like Starks is best. He's kind of got that MJF quality where he needs to be, he needs to be the guy that's in control and that's being chased because he's going to piss you off so, so much. So I think they've really set him up to succeed in that manner. And you're right that that's the guy where the mannerisms make all the difference. Cause you know, he's, he's going to be winning his matches through something kind of shady anyways. So he doesn't need the the crazy skills for the baby's face come back and yeah, Brian Cage, I think will probably get some form of uh, revenge on team Taz before he sets out for his, uh, his new greater purpose. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what he does. I think it was good to kind of give him the, the safety of the faction for the start. But I think that, you know, you've seen the fans get behind him. And once again, you know, tip the hat to AEW because this was a slow build. I mean, the Darby Sting team Taz thing was months ago. And that was when they started showing the cracks and the fact that they just kind of let it build over time. And then, you know, Taz is doing his whole nonsensical concept which has never been proven correct that like oh once they beat the shit out of each other they're going to be great it's like i've been around enough dudes that have you know gotten into minor scraps you don't immediately feel really good about the other guy after the fact so i think that it was you know they, they played that card and then it was like oh no deck was against him all along so i think i think it was a good uh a good turn yeah i, I think too with starks uh i'm glad you brought the mjf comparison because i feel like um, while they'll play a similar character, I feel like we're also in a level where they're trying to elevate MJF. Um, obviously, right now with the trials of Jericho, he's going to be more on the sidelines. But coming off that big match with Sammy uh, only a few weeks back, um, I feel like people are starting to really respect more of his in-ring ability. And Starks, I feel like, can play up more of the kind of clown with a belt angle where he's got the faction, he's got the powerhouse Hobbs to bail him out, like you had said, but he doesn't necessarily have to be in-ring, like proving night and night out that he's the toughest of the tough and earned his belt. Like It's kind of always funny when you have a faction leader who everyone kind of questions if he's actually worthy of holding a belt, especially in this case where it's a completely unsanctioned belt. He's basically just a fool running around with a toy. So Love it. All right, the match I kind of alluded to at the beginning, the Christian Cage and Matt Hardy feud based off of 20 years of bad blood. There were times where that crowd was just silent during this match. I don't know if you picked up on that or not. Yeah, I kind of think, I think you you summed it up pretty well uh, episode or two back when you referenced the feud that no one asked for. And this is pretty spot on. I think it's like, Everything about it had a weird like microwave deal because it's like, oh, they're, you know, time spent in WWE. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, the real the real powerhouse of each of those teams was Edge and Jeff. And then Edge and Matt had the real life drama with Lita. So you're really just putting two guys together that kind of stood across the bar from each other talking shit and, you know, tried to build it up a little later. So I think. I think that is part of it. And I think that these new crowds, you know, I think that they're, they're excited about the newness of AEW, which is why I think when you get like, you know, Christian against some of these up and comers, you had, you know, him and jungle boy interacting, which was so like 
you know, never seen before, first time only, dream matches only in our head. And then it's like, you're giving me, you know, Christian and Matt Hardy in a tank top? Like... <laughs> well, it, it begs the question, Danimal. I'm curious to get your opinion on it, but the fear, especially in light of, you know, the big CM Punk signing, um, is that AEW has gone out and just is acquiring too many cast-offs now from WWE. And as a result, like, there's a fear that all of this momentum may get drowned out by trying to honor past, you know, feuds such as this one. In my head, based again off my theory that they're really trying to encourage the fans to almost educate themselves on some of these wrestlers, I think that it was kind of a way of saying like, okay, this is how we acknowledge these two are legends and it justifies why we brought them aboard. The fact that they can still perform it and to their credit, uh, Matt Hardy performed much better than I expected. I believe last time I was talking about him retiring and, you know, he, he still has a bit to give. I don't think he's that exciting to witness but you could do worse. Um, but the other aspect of it, it had the energy of a WWE match. I mean, I felt like when it went completely silent was because it followed the flow that we're so accustomed to with watching the Vince McMahon productions where it's, you know, it has to end off of some marquee maneuver. It always has to like go through the motions of one guy gets the advantage and the other guy like really the only time I heard the crowd pop at all was when Matt Hardy busted out that crazy power bomb on the top rope that looked incredibly dangerous. And admittedly it was probably a move that WWE would never allow him to implement aside from possibly a pay-per-view. So um, maybe just the energy level of the matches we've gotten spoiled with, with AEW and the other fans in attendance. And they just, they're not going to pop for, you know, a guy kicking out of an arm bar every 30 seconds, you know? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it's just that this is, if you're going to do a match like that, I think you need to go kind of, and I guess it's also that these are two guys that were borderline headliners, even at their peak in WWE. So it's not like we're getting former champ Moxley versus former champ CM Punk or, you know, throwing Jericho in the mix where you had headliners. So, yeah, I think, I think it was a, a storyline that kind of felt the need to do because there was history there. And it's, you know, I think like we've said, it's not in their nature to ignore it. So they had to address it at some point. Maybe they just pushed it a little too soon or pushed it a little too high on the card. Cause yeah, this was one that pretty quickly as it started, I was like, all right, when are we going to get the, you know, the, fake fit the false finish into the one more finisher ought to do it counter one, two, three. And then we got it. So. <laughs> yeah. And my, maybe, maybe the thought too is maybe it was just something that you had to get out of the way at some point. So it's almost best to just take care of it now rather than sit on it because the longer you sit on it, it just has to get bigger and bigger. And I don't know if you want to allow it to get big enough to where, they have to try to do some sort of ladder match to, like you say, acknowledge their past. Because I would not trust Matt Hardy jumping off a ladder at this stage in his career. So. Step ladders and chairs. <laughs> Perfect. But yeah, I mean, we'll see. I have a feeling that they're going to also use this as a way to kind of uh, prolong keeping Jungle Boy like active, but also not having to give him too big of a push when there's so many other moving parts going on because now you can have the Christian Cage Jurassic Express feuding 
to no end with you know whatever matt hardy decides yeah. to throw at him so. no I'd, I'd say yeah good to move on let's get jurassic express in there i love those guys seriously all right next match we had sammy guevara whooping up on wheeler utah who looks like he's my illegitimate third brother um this was a debut match i believe in a solo competition for him uh he looks like a solid jobber i don't know that why they just tossed him in with the best friends uh could do you happen to have any backstory on that or is it just kind of a i I, I don't i mean it was one of those where i guess you can't you can't be factionless in aew kind of like going to prison you gotta find a crew and stick with them and i i mean i was intrigued because and we'll cover it later but he did have a match with darby on the next week so i think i think they've got some some hope for him as a performer talent wise. So they're putting him with some pretty good dance partners and maybe the best friends are just a, a good kind of over group that could give some momentum because it's like, if you're coming out with orange Cassidy at times, you're always going to get the love and, you know, they're going to be doing so many, you know, cause like all wrestling and factions, you just do the like, okay, this faction has four, you have three. Great. We've got, you know, six matches we can put on with various combinations so it'll maybe give him a chance and they just wanted to kind of introduce the crowd to him uh early on because i mean yeah it seemed like a pretty decent match all things considered uh don't think it was ever in doubt good to see sammy pick up a win and always smart to put him on a card so yeah the only other thing i could think is possibly just the fact that you're booking two baby faces against one another yeah and it's kind of a way where it's like you tie him in with the best friends just to make it so people are interested to a degree. But Sammy obviously is everyone's favorite. So, you know, it was, uh, it, it was interesting. Uh, like I said, he jobbed it pretty tough, but you know, jobbed it admirably given yeah. that. So, and, you know, starting off your career against Sammy and then Darby is nothing to sneeze at. So uh, moving on from that, we had Yuka Sakazaki uh, taking on Penelope Ford. Uh, Penelope Ford seems to be putting up admirable jobbing as well. Um, I don't know what they're doing with her. Is there an injury to her quote unquote husband? Is that what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was Miro, um, wrapped up as part of his best man angle. Once again, a great use of just getting to call him the best man for no apparent reason. Um, so yeah, I think, I don't know. I think, I think this is where it's tough. Um, in that they're still kind of struggling to some degree with how to have a woman's feud without the belt. And I, am not going to say that's unique to AEW. I think WWE's dealt with that too. Part of why they have three women's belts and a pair of tag team titles so they can at least, you know, use their roster a little bit more, but yeah, I mean, I, I felt like it wasn't a bad match by any stretch, but it did seem like a little bit of a, you know, let's, let's make sure we get a women's match on the card here. There's also the factor too, I guess I always forget that with COVID um, there were so many restrictions with certain international wrestlers of even being able to book things like that was actually one of the big credits to AEW with the women's division in particular, where they were so strapped for talent when they offset COVID uh, just because so many of their, their top contenders couldn't leave their home countries yeah. and couldn't come to the States to perform for a long time. So um, as restrictions start to open up, um, perhaps we'll see it blossom some more. I'm curious about Yuka, how that goes over, 
a talented wrestler, but um, some of those Japanese styles can either go over really huge, as we saw in, you know, with was Asuka in, in WWE, yeah. or it can just be really confusing and, and off-putting. So I'll, I'll be curious to see, because she is talented. And like I said, Penelope, for all things considered, is, has been putting up a decent effort to job willingly to folks yeah. in the years. So. And the headline match, Darby Allen and Ethan Page in a coffin match. What were your thoughts on this one, Danimal? Um, first, I got to say, I really love um, that they didn't want to bite off WWE. So instead of the casket match, they went with the coffin match. Slightly different shaped vessel to be buried in. So tip of the cap on that. Um, I mean, I thought I got to kind of give it the tip. I hate to say typical Darby match because it sounds negative, but I mean, the guy is great at wrestling from under when he starts, you know, turning up on the baby face comeback. He, you know, just sells so much intensity and just like manic energy. Um, I was glad that, you know, they really accentuated because I think Ethan Page is one of those dudes that it's hard to gauge how big he is because like he's a really muscular dude, but he doesn't quite have the like, hulking like you know six three six four look and i felt like in the match with the commentary as well they really did a good job of letting you know that you know he had a real advantage on darby and that made it a lot more believable because i think it, it sometimes is lost you know that darby is a moderate sized guy he's not like tiny by any stretch but that page is a powerful dude so i, I thought that was well sold yeah, uh, Scott Hall, Hall syndrome, where you look at the guy and you don't realize just how massive he is until he picks somebody up on his back shoulders and launches them. Um, yeah, I, I've become a huge fan of Ethan Page due to this rivalry. Um, I have to say I really like the promo work they did leading up to it uh, with Darby um, kind of touching into that that real-life kind of feud angle where uh, Darby called him out for essentially saying like, you chose to go off and get married and have kids and it stalled your career versus I'm the guy who went all out with my wrestling career. And that's why I've achieved so much at such a young age. Um, it was a really cool angle to introduce for a feud that seemingly kind of came out of nowhere with a character. Frankly, Ethan Page has seemed kind of like a joke for a while there, but he's put on a heck of a show. Um, I do have to say, AEW, uh, with some of their broadcasts, have been terrible, god-awful when it comes to some their cuts to commercials at times. And occasionally when there's action that's going on where it's chaotic, uh, particularly when Sting came to the rescue to knock Scorpio Sky out and through the crowd, and there was a moment where he was supposed to do the Stinger Splash, and he totally botched it, but the camera just, like, cut away. And so at first you're hearing, like, the announcer say, oh, Stinger Splash or whatever, and then it cuts away, and then you cut back, and all of a sudden Sting is, like, on the ground, and it's like, wait, what happened? Is he so old that he hit his marquee maneuver, and now he's on his back? And it's like, oh, he actually missed it. They just cut away so fast that we totally botched it, but. Yeah, I'll, I will admit, too, that I struggle, as I've admitted in the past, that I, I'm not able to watch live. So I watch on the TNT app through Roku, and there is no picture-in-picture picture during it, and they do not give you a catch-up in the slightest. So it is, you know, with the most famous one being in the Blood and Guts match, when it was just like, how the fuck did Jericho and 
MJF get on the roof where it is just like, and we'll be back. And then it's like, all right, here's what's going on. It's like, you know, you could have, you could have given me a little something. So yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. And yeah, I do. I do love how Sting and Scorpio kind of got in there with a little bit of a, like, I, I think I almost would have rather the stipulation of like, they both have to stay in the back because there was that like, Oh, and Scorpio sky out here. No DQ Darby's really in trouble now. And it's like, this whole feud has been built on the fact that there's a fourth person in it. Like, don't insult my intelligence just because I'm watching wrestling. So <laughs> great line. <laughs> Highly <yeah>. quotable. <laughs> no, and then well, I mean the, the ending was definitely cool. Yeah. Uh what did you think about the the construction of the casket? Because personally, when I saw him go through the top and I saw kind of those little like elevated portions that kept the plywood or what particle board, whatever he dove through up. It looked like if he missed just so lightly, that would hurt like hell. Yeah, I can't help but wonder if some combination of the Jericho cardboard issue mixed with Darby just being batshit crazy um, resulted in him wanting like it to not be kind of like the telltale like tip. Like if you just landed really off center, it would kind of just fold with you. So my my guess is that it was probably still like a, some kind of wood that was probably a little more pliable but yeah I don't think it was I don't think it was as forgiving as it probably should have been but yeah that's that's my take on the fact that I still remember when we saw Darby in that match like five or six years ago and we saw him just get thrown into a concrete pillar and I I since YouTube did that was like one of his like signature gimmicks was he would do like the the pillar bump so I, I think that it may have just been a case of him being like, I don't want to do the Chris Jericho thing. I know how to hit my mark. And to his credit, I mean, you know, that thing could have been made out of steel and he would have gone right through the top. So props to him for uh, hitting that maneuver. That's that's fair. And to be honest to the one on the steel step, quote unquote, steel steps in the middle of the ring, probably hurt a hell of a lot more than what I'm describing, but in either case, uh, great match. Typical Darby match, like you had said. Um, not a bad thing, no. but definitely like the top of the Darby match you can get. Like he he definitely had to exert himself, took got the shit kicked out of him, and came out on top through just sheer will. Yeah, well, I think you know, like I was gonna say before, is Paige is just the right size because he's big enough that it's believable. He's throwing him around, and beating the shit out of him. But it's not like the, I hate to say it, you know, Rey Mysterio hitting the 619 on Big Show. And it's like, okay, you know, Darby's move is cool, but I don't know if he hits like, you know, and maybe it'll happen someday. But, you know, I don't know if he hits Rusev's, you know, chest, which is legitimately the size of a barrel. It's going to do much. But with Paige, you have just that right amount of like, okay, if he, if this, you know, guy catches fire, I think he can do some damage to you. Well said. So that concluded the first night of Fighter Fest. Well, well Fighter Fest. Before we do that, we have to set up what I felt like was a phenomenal promo. Well, two actually, one phenomenal and one weirder than shit. So we had a uh, our our favorite uh, Hangman Page came out and got interrupted and insulted by the box, which led to I believe it might be this next tomorrow i guess it would be uh the episode on the 28th the five-man elimination tag match for hangman's title shot and a dark order title shot 
um, which I thought was a, a fun kind of bit of promo. Kenny got to be a little snivelly, but also just set up a great match that I'm really excited for. Thank you uh, for bringing that up, actually, because I, I'm sitting here looking at the results page. And I forgot all about this promo, but it was great twofold. Um, Hangman Page, he's not the best on the mic, but this is a great opportunity for him get, to garner the cheap heat as they're building him up to this. And hats off to Kenny again for putting him over so well. Um, one knock I have, and this is probably just a, a response to the live shows, but Kenny Omega, I really liked during the COVID dark matches they were doing at dailies, how they wouldn't really use his theme unless he was in ring action. This is the first time I've ever seen him walk out for just a promo and they actually played his theme and it doesn't work as well. Like I really like kind of reserving that more as, you know, like we always allude to the video game, like the boss, like, like when you hear that, which it's a pretty awesome theme, but when you just hear him walking out to it, it doesn't have the same like impact. I'll say that. Yeah. And I think, I think the fact that it led with him and then the bucks came out, cause I think the bucks are the best. If you're doing, I mean, you know, we talked about it in our music one, the, the bucks theme is awesome. If they're, if they're faces, then it's this really fun, like cheery one. And when they're heels, the over the top entrance, they're able to do to super kick party work. So yeah, I think you're right. I think it's, it's a good way to let it know that this isn't, this isn't joking around Kenny. This isn't fucking around. This is the belt collector, the guy that's, you know, the best in the world and you got to respect him. On that note too, real quick. Also, since we just discussed him, Darby Allen, low key, great theme or terrible. You know, I'm, my thoughts on it are this, like, I think the intro to it, the little bass thing is awesome because you know, you recognize it instantly. You know, who's coming to the ring and it does have a nice tone and energy to it. That's perfect when it's getting drowned out by the crowd. But I have to say, I did recently listen to it with, you know, just purely in headphones and, and actually heard the lyrics. And it's really, really bad when you include that portion of it, at least in my opinion. So I'm curious to get your thoughts. I'll, on I'll have statement. to give it a, a better listen because I think I, I was kind of landing with you that I, I know he's coming out. And it, so it may fall into kind of the, the category that we haven't yet discussed in our music series of, you know, pops and that sometimes all you really need is that initial, like, get the crowd going and then whatever you know crap is kind of playing over the background um because i know that one that you talked about that you liked but i couldn't tell you much about it is like edges one that i don't really i probably if you played me the snippet of after the you think you know me in like the first 10 seconds i don't know if i could really identify the song that well but that intro is so synonymous with him i can't help but wonder if that's maybe the darby thing where it's like you just know that there's kind of some noise in the background but really it's just once that moment hits, it's like the crowd's going so nuts that you, you don't even really hear it. Well said. And yeah, I think Pops will be a good one, uh, especially because I think this is a great example where it's in line with that, where, like I said, I love it when I'm seeing it in the broadcasting, but it definitely doesn't sound nearly as cool when you listen Does, to it. It doesn't pass the car test. There you go. Um, another one, too, that's kind of in that boat, boat and uh since we're also discussing the adam page which i have to respect it because it's obviously just ripped off from the ecstasy of gold from the good and bad and the ugly 
which I'm gonna love anything that's an oh, especially because they've got the like the credits with like the horse riding and everything. Oh yeah, that gets me jacked up every time. Yeah, hundred percent. But it's also like, again, it's the car test. It's like I'm on the fence of it because on one end I'm super jacked, but if I'm in the car, I could also just play the Ecstasy of Gold. So it's like, does it actually hold weight? Well, to be continued. We'll have to come back to that one. But yeah, it's. The Kenny, the last thing I'll say with him too, he's still maintaining the chops, still maintaining the tied back hair. I'm telling you, I think he is channeling his inner Triple H to try to come across as a little more menacing to the casuals that are in attendance to these live shows. No, that's, now. that's a great point. Uh, I'll interject real quick that today, July 27th, happy birthday, Triple H, one of the all-time greats. I saw that and felt it was only right that we were podcasting today and I could shout him out as one of my favorites, so... Props to him. Um, and with that, I will transition into the other promo, which was weird as shit, which was Cody and Alice, or not Alistair, sorry, Malachi Black. Um, <laughs> which I don't know how well you remembered how recently you saw it. Cody did his typical, like, you know, you want to fight me, get my attention. I'm right here, kicking Arn. Even though I like that they said Arn is like 62. That guy must have gone from looking like 21 to 62. Because I feel like he's one of those guys that I don't really feel like he's aged a ton. Like, I still think he looks like he did when I watched him in, like, you know, the 90s and saw clips from the 80s. But it was just like, man, I kind of thought he'd be older. But, hey, props to him giving a spine buster. But uh, what did you think about Alistair's weird horse story? Yeah. <laughs> I uh, The delivery was spot on. Like, definitely creepy as all get out but i have no idea what the hell that was supposed to convey um particularly like you didn't need a lot of help to put them over since they're doing the white and black motif with their outfits already like it's pretty obvious like how who he's supposed to be like you don't need to put a lot of work into uh really putting these guys over but uh they're channeling the dark energies and whatnot but yeah, I, I, I'm curious. What are your thoughts? Because I, I just was kind of like enthralled by the actual delivery. But just when I thought about what you said, just super confused. Yeah, for me, it was one of those cases where one, I thought the analogy was a little weird because he's saying that like Cody doesn't have the fire. So he's kind of there. Except then he's going on about how much the guy loved the horse and traveled with it. So that wasn't really tracking for me. And then two, it was just like, it just felt way too long. Like, it was just kind of like, okay, I, I know where this is going. Like, you, you've told me that this guy's, like, walking up to a horse and he's crying. Like, he, he loves the horse and he's going to kill it. I didn't need the, like, he traveled and then they, they won a lot and they were great. But now it's not as good. And he know, and it was just like, okay, get, get to the point. So, yeah, but I did, I did appreciate that he took it all the way. He's like, he put a bag on its head. I was like, oh god like I, I didn't need to know how he executed the horse so yeah generally weird um but i, I just i i kind of when i was looking at my notes i was like oh you know the great adam page one and i was like well then i better bring up the weird horse shooting one so i am curious to see however um and maybe maybe they won't go this angle but the old classic wwe where inevitably we would see Arn Anderson's kid 
like tied up backstage with like a hood over his head because he was attacked or whatever by myth you know in another blackout that occurred in the arena or something along those lines but I think no, I, I think I, I think, hope I think they he's spot on. That. I don't know if he's I don't know if he's gonna get put down like the horse, which would be the funniest, like, Dad, I don't want to be a wrestler. It's like you got one match and you're gonna be fake executed. Just nut up and do it. But no, I I think you're right. I think there's going to be the like Arn and Cody in the ring, like, you know, you want another shot at him, come right here. And then like, you know, Cody, you're supposed to be the family man. You know, you're not gonna protect his family, and then the like panic run to the back or something so no i think i think that's a great call and i am curious if this was just their long-term storytelling to introduce brock just so that he can be like brutalized all uh when uh zach Ryder got beaten up by kane for like three months on raw just to torture john cena so yeah or like when ken shamrock's sister was brought aboard just to be suspended and a crucifix by the ministry of darkness or whatever the hell they were called that week. Andy was, uh, and she was seduced by Val Venus too. That was a reference to the Shamrock family. <laughs> um, the only other thought I have on that possibly, um, and I could totally see AEW implementing it is that, uh, Alistair slash Malachi, you know, he does have a great delivery to him and it could have just been one of those things where they're like, we're just going to point the camera at you and just yeah. go like a total like classic shoot interview like from you know throwback to the mean gene era where it's just like wherever the hell crap comes out of your mouth we're just going to air it and go so um if that's the case i'm again i'm damn impressed because it, it was a thought out story it was just like you said a bit too long and a bit too weird um, for normal wrestling broadcast, I did love also how they supposedly it was supposed to be like his like dark powers that Cody's like you know I want to fight right now and he's like good and then appeared in the ring just like whoa how did he get there? I do love too that it from a hit of nostalgia and it, maybe it shows my age but it did kind of remind me to back in the Monday Night Wars where you would flip back and forth between broadcasts. And obviously in these this day and age, I'm flipping between DVR'd things. So to go from that creepy promo about a man putting down his horse to seeing Baron Corbin getting hit in the nuts <laughs> by a stupid toy tank, like was kind of just like very much the same sort of thing when you're flipping back and it's like, oh, look, it's China coming to the rescue on one network. And the other one is in the middle of recruiting like their 18th member to the NWO. Uh, Which one shall that's, I finish? That's with? a great point. I like that a lot. And if, if you're showing your age, I am too, because I, I specifically remember. And the worst was I had a TV that didn't have a remote. So I had to like sit close enough that I could push the buttons on the TV to switch on the Monday Night Wars. So I'm right there with you. <laughs> All right. Speaking of things that make you feel old, Chris Jericho headlining yes. the opening of Fighter Fest Night 2 versus Sean Spears, who I've already told you I kind of have an affinity for his creepy mid-boss character that he's, he's implemented. I think it has something to do with the facial hair and the creepy faces he makes when he hits people with chairs. But Chairman Sean Spears, with the help of Tully Blanchard, taking on Chris Jericho. Thoughts? Well, first and foremost, I got to tip my hat to the entire concept. As someone who's working on tattooing the labors of Hercules on himself, the concept of the labors of Jericho is genius. I absolutely love it. It's it's a really fun idea with a great name. Um, 
usually it's just like stipulations, do what I say, yada, yada. But they really went for it and named it. Um, the match, I, I was very impressed. I mean, I think we both talked about how is the, the mid-boss, the chairman is a great guy because he's going to put on a, a phenomenal match, which he did. But Jericho just continues to seemingly defy time. Not gravity when you look at the body, <laughs> but most certainly time. And he is, I mean, I, I watched him and he was doing stuff that it just looked like a great Jericho match. And it wasn't, you know, Spears didn't seem to have to take his foot off the throttle in the slightest. So no, I was, I was over the moon with the match and, you know, obviously glad to see that they'll be continuing. What yeah. Do you, what are you thinking? I, I think it's a great excuse to give Jericho some work and help put over some of these young guys in this this very exciting and fun stable I think long term like there's a lot more legs to the pinnacle than there is the inner circle just because the inner circle it's like between you have Sammy who clearly is going to get a push at some point to be a, an independent guy um, you know you have a legitimate tag team that could easily branch off at any point and then you have Hager, who I guess has an MMA career, he's a, but he, he's perfect. He's perfect in the faction. I, I actually am really glad to see that he's still working and, and he does exactly what is asked of him. Um, but he's also not somebody that people are tuning in every week to see. So versus the pinnacle actually is made up of in a really well-structured way to, to have a long-term faction ability. Um, possibly you know I, I wouldn't say maybe to the elite standard but they could certainly you know feud with them if need be if you know that was asked um i thought it was a great excuse too to get sean spears some solo work and really you know a match against jericho is is like you said actually he always gives his all that's why i give him credit for it despite the fact that he looks like he showed up hung over straight from the beach every night um you know, he, he still puts on a heck of a show and yeah, I mean, Spears threw in just enough of his creepy stuff that puts him over in his own right, which is always uh, exciting to see for a guy who seems destined for the mid card. No, that's, that's a great point, which brings us to the second labor of Jericho. So tell me how familiar were you previously and are you now with Mr. Adam Gage? Not at all. Um, other than I believe he might have been in the David Arquette uh, movie he made, the um, the one about professional wrestling. Uh, you can't kill David Arquette, but I don't think he ever like was highlighted because I certainly don't remember anything other than him. That being said, being a person of my age who grew up watching bootleg tapes of guys like M Dog Twenty Twenty jumping off of twenty five foot, you know bleachers and in, in high school stadiums or whatever to put on these blood and gut show house shows um i kind of get the sense of who he's supposed to be okay so yeah i, I did a quick uh, quick dive and he is in fact yes a a deathmatch connoisseur he's the thing about him robbing a bank without a mask is true um you know unfortunately he, he's been featured on a dark side of the ring had some some struggles um but is back into the wrestling scene and a real deathmatch aficionado and interestingly enough maybe not by coincidence he was the holder of a belt um i think it was the gwp 
promotion. And he lost the belt in a pretty brutal and bloody death match to Matt Cardona, otherwise known as Zack Ryder. Um, really? Just, yeah, which if, I mean, I'm, I'm not really one to watch a ton of those matches, but I just caught some of it. And one, it's pretty amazing because Cardona goes all out. Um, he got fucked up. But then the amazing thing is the announcer's disdain for him because they're basically playing the card where like Gage was like the baby face because he's like the deathmatch guy and Cardona's the tourist and he's too tan and too ripped. So when he wins the match, it looks like some of the old videos you see of just shit flying into the ring. And like some people did like freeze frames because one of the things that Gage uses is a pizza cutter. And someone legitimately threw a fucking pizza cutter into the ring at Matt Cardona. <laughs> um, so I would, I would say, you know, give it like a quick, like Twitter search, you know, so you get a couple 90 second clips. I, I didn't bother trying to find the whole match, but uh, so yeah, this guy is legit. He is deathmatch uh, seasoned. He is hardcore. And I think, uh, I think we're in for a pretty gnarly match, which then would lead into Against such a maniac, what is Chris Jericho to do? Enter the pain maker, a character that clearly was inspired by a clockwork orange. The thing is, is when you think about the average age of a fan in attendance for an AEW show, which mind you, only a few months prior, he did a whole arcade themed, like, you know, theme match essentially and it was based their whole concept around just like appealing to like video games and bright lights and 80s nostalgia and all that to implement a character who wears a fedora and, and shitty eye makeup like what it, it dates him so much and i love it and i hate it equally I'll just yeah, I, I know that it was a character that he kind of was using over in Japan and everything, but just like the presentation of it, I think that they were going for the like classic when mankind reverted back to Cactus Jack and everyone had the like, holy shit, like things just got real. But the promo and everything just really more had the vibes of like your buddy in college who tries to give himself a nickname. And it's just like, no, man, you're, you're, you're still so-and-so. It's like, no, no, like, you know, I'm the such-and-such-nator now. I'm all about this. And it's like, no, no, you're not. And that's how I kind of know with Jericho, like, giving it over the the uh, Road Warriors spiked shoulder things that were supposed to be, like, if you're going to show us that, we know what's coming. Like, that's not a normal Jericho look. So, yeah, I thought I thought the whole thing was very much, like, I get what he was going for, but I don't think it landed quite how he hoped it would. Yeah, again, this kind of fuels my my thought that AEW is really pushing for basically folks to do what you just expressed, Animal, like do the deep dive, kind of go down a rabbit hole of looking up some of these, these figures and their histories. Um, and I think in Jericho's case, it, it's compounded the difficulty of doing so because you also don't want to really promo your rival, the WWE, and such a huge chunk of his career takes place there, you know, and everything in WCW is now owned by WWE. So you can do the deep dive on Jericho, but all you're doing is helping the your rival faction. So the only way you're going to find anything like 
that really highlights Jericho in another way is you have to really dig into some of these crazy overseas matches he put on. Um, Painmaker, I'm sure, had some crazy death matches in you know Tokyo Dome or wherever he performed. Um, and I'm sure his character went over much better back then because that was probably 20 years ago. Um, I really thought it was hilarious the way it was conveyed. It really just had that really sentiment of like when you see like a guy who used to be really tough like 40 years ago trying to show up and be tough. We'll, we'll get into that when we talk about WWE for certain. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it just it didn't land but I also died laughing from unintentional comedy. So in that way, that's part of wrestling as well, as far as I'm concerned. All right. So after that, we saw Doc Gallows in solo action, taking on Frankie Kazarian, the elite hunter. And in kind of a bit of a shock, Frankie Kazarian actually went down this match, which I guess is actually really refreshing given that I'm so used to, again, the WWE way of storytelling where once he's dubbed elite hunter, he's not going to lose until he gets his big pay-per-view match. But to see him actually take on a super imposing character like Doc Gallows and kind of get beat legit. I mean, you know, obviously with Carl Anderson involved, it's never going to be a hundred percent, you know, legit match, but it was still, nice to see that you can still put a guy over and give him a loss here and there no i completely agree i think that the fact that you know the deck is just stacked enough that you're not hurting him by having him lose but i think you would hurt gallows if you've got a guy that's you know one just that gigantic of a human and he's got a little bit of you know the cards in his favor i think it would be a you know building frankie to be a little too superhuman so i think giving that, you know, letting him take the loss semi-clean and then having him get the beat down after the match. Um, now, I think you're right. I think it was the right call to avoid the, you know, he's going to win, he's going to win, he's going to win. And it's only going to be the, like, you know, super kick from the Bucks that, you know, let him get knocked down to take the loss. So, no, I think I think it was a good match. I think it's, you know, kind of like we talked about with uh, Carl Anderson. I think it's good to, you know, put someone like Gallows in just a solo match to remind people that, you don't get to be, you know, that prominent of a faction member just because you're, you know, a tag team next to another guy that you got to be a good individual. So thought it was a good match. Thought it was good that, you know, you got to have uh, Adam Page come out. And I like that they're kind of loosely linking them. It's got a nice, like, and I guess we talked about Frankie Kazarian kind of being the Punisher anyways, that... He's just tangentially related enough that I can't help but wonder if the five on five match, if, you know, something, something funky happens since there's still a, there's still a lot of cronies on the side of the elites, including Don Callis. If uh, Frankie might come in when the, the dork with the spray tries to get involved or something and just absolutely like rock him or the cameraman just to even the odds. So thought that was a, a nice little foreshadowing so that we know that Frankie can be a, waiting in the wings for future matches. Well said. I think that summed it up actually perfectly. Uh, so moving along, we had Darby Allen and Sting taking on Wheeler Utah again, as we had alluded to with Orange Cassidy. Uh, it's important to highlight that Sting and Orange Cassidy were both in attendance to this match because arguably the highlight 100%. was their little 
little uh, skit, if you want to call it that, outside the ring of going through the motions of Sting acknowledging Orange Cassidy's little shtick of uh, what would you call that maneuver? I know what it's making fun of, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it really is just like the the the, the less dramatic yes kicks and. Yeah, it's essentially for any folks who haven't experienced it. It's yeah, Danimal sums it up perfectly. It's it's the yes kicks, but done with like no enthusiasm, which is a hundred percent Orange Cassidy's character. Which of course the crowd is have, eating up. Yeah, and then to have Sting involved with it and actually acknowledge it completely and give the same exact energy back was uh, quite comical and actually worked out really perfect with the in-ring action as well when Darby actually like kind of like midway had to interrupt it because he was kicking the shit out Wheeler you does so much but then realized Sting's like fucking around which is always refreshing to see a legend taking the time to fuck around well his protege is take in a real life match yeah I, I definitely I you know because it's a wrestling podcast so we can just jump around like crazy I I want to continue to salute the way that I think Sting especially has allowed himself to be used um you know I think he's he's taken his bumps he's been in some real matches but he continues to really kind of put people over you know kind of like the, the Derby match it's like he doesn't come out for the entire coffin match runs out makes the save and just like that he's gone you don't see him again so he doesn't he doesn't want the spotlight on him unless it's briefly and i think something like orange cassidy where it's like you haven't seen you know he hasn't done too much of his shtick as of late because he's actually been you know come up to the feud he's been in but he's actually been doing you know some of his more like wrestling wrestling stuff so i think to kind of remind everyone of how fun the gimmick is and then to do it with such kind of a, a straight character was able to really give it that, you know, push to get it over the top and maybe even show a casual fan or two um, who made out of watch for a while. Like who is Sting and who's or you know, who's this guy with Sting and why are they doing this goofy little dance? So I thought it was great use. And yeah, that was hundred percent highlight of the segment. Yeah. And again, Wheeler Utah is just in uh jobber mode anyway. So Darby took care of him pretty handedly. But yeah, I, I agree with you completely with Sting. And in fact, he did too with uh, Lance Archer. It was a few months back when he basically just gave him the like the nod of saying like, yeah, you do deserve a title push and go out and get it. Oh know? yeah, that was the most awesome, <laughs> weird segment ever. It was just like, and if you'd shut up, I'd tell you, you've got the goods, you've got the look and you need to go get a title. And it was just kind of like the like waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I think even Archer kind of had this like, Oh, thanks. So yeah, no, just shout out to Sting. And the fact that he's kind of, I think he's probably the oldest of the guys that has the like Tom Brady syndrome going where it's like, he's like 61 and he actually looks pretty good and moves pretty good. And it's kind of the like, Hey guys, if you're a professional wrestler and you don't treat your body like shit with drugs and alcohol and bad food, you can actually, you know, you're an amazing physical specimen and you can keep that going later in life. Yeah, no, seeing the difference of where Ric Flair's ended up, where like the only times I've seen him are on a few occasional shitty commercials and or when I see a highlight of whatever stupid YouTube star holding some fake boxing match and Ric Flair somehow is involved just to give his iconic woo, you know, 
versus Sting, who's still showing up every night, still going over great with the crowd, and I believe is fully capable of putting on a pay-per-view worthy match in any given night. Okay. Um, yeah. It, you know it's what I just realized when we touched on it? Sting and Arn Anderson are the same age. <laughs> Tom Brady syndrome is a, is a fair yeah, comparison. Like what, what when the... you think about some of the players that you see there, Tom Brady's age when he when is standing next to him, it's like, okay. it's like you know this this is your body on you know being Sting. This is your body on running with Ric Flair for twenty years. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> to think we were complimenting Arn Anderson earlier. I mean, I still think, I guess it's proof that, you know, Arn Anderson gives a better spine buster than 99% of 62 year old men. It just so happens he works in a company as that 1%. That's amazing. Uh, you learn something new every day. Oh, yeah. All right, so moving on to the next match, we had Dr. Britt Baker and Rebel taking on Nyla Rose and Vicky Guerrero after much hype. Uh, did you believe this match lived up to it, Danimal? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I felt like they really hit the beats well, that Nyla was just super imposing. And, you know, I, I, I was holding on to my wrestling brain just enough that on a couple of the near falls, I knew she wouldn't win it. But they they were having her hit her big offense, and Britt really had to work from underneath, which isn't – I'll give credit, which isn't typical of the heel champion. So I thought they did a nice job in kind of flipping that as opposed to if there had been some, like, pre-match beatdown or something where, you know, uh, Rebel or Reba, I can never remember because it's one, not the other um, – if she had let off by just like chop blocking Nyla with the crutch or something so that then like Britt takes control, but they actually kind of went the other route. And I thought that it kind of spoke to the fact that she's technically a heel, but she's just so fucking over that you can kind of put her as the baby face and it worked. So no, I was, I was thoroughly impressed with the match and uh, yeah, just so, so glad that we'll continue to get uh, Britt Baker DMD uh, to be, running things in the women's division i love the homage to eddie guerrero oh the, be well. the belt tossing that was that was so great especially with vicky there yeah with vicky there and i love too the way it ended up with with seemingly Britt baker holding it over nyla rose who's like pleading for her life like it was just perfectly orchestrated uh, i agree with you completely with Britt baker as well i think that she has gone over so much that it may be difficult to maintain the heel champion aspect because people just eat up her shtick so much um i don't know if they'll transition it or if they'll just keep it going um we'll have to see but i do really really appreciate that they launched her title you know defense uh with nyla rose i mean that's quite the undertaking versus you know they could have easily just do, had her doing squash matches against the Penelope Fords. Of the yeah, region. even a great wrestler and, like Take Auntie, where you don't have that, like there's no way she's winning this. So I, I think it was a great move. And also a fun fact I realized, uh, Nia Jax of WWE, she uh, debuted, it was X number of years ago. Her first match was against Britt Baker, who just got absolutely squashed in WWE. 
and now is uh, the head doctor in charge. That's all hilarious, and I love kind of the the comparisons there, in particular since Nyla Rose is basically everything they've tried to make Jax, and it just hasn't quite worked because she doesn't quite have that ability to just go over the top in terms of being imposing. Um, so yeah, and of course Vince McMahon just cast aside who arguably is one of the most famous and popular female wrestlers, women wrestlers right now. So good job, Vince. Yeah, but, uh, great, great defense from Britt Baker. And now uh, excited to see where it goes. If they, you know, like you said, do they do they keep her heel? Do they go tweener? Do they let someone like, because, you know, she's a good worker. Do you let the bunny get in there as a bit more of a heel and try to turn her? Uh, should be should be interesting. Yeah, uh, quite a lot to look forward to as they march towards, I believe it's Rampage is the next one. Uh, so next match was Orange Cassidy with Chris Statlander uh, taking on the Blade and the Bunny, as you had mentioned. Uh, thoughts on this match, Danimal? Um, I guess one thing, uh, kind of the typical deal that you, I, I guess I hadn't noticed, but holy shit, is the Blade an imposing human being? Like, I don't know if it's because, like, him and, like, the Butcher, or maybe because he wears the, like, the apron a lot of the time. Man, he took that thing off, and I did not realize what a powerhouse he was. And it showed in this match. He had some, he had some pretty impressive uh, moves of strength. And Orange Cassidy is not, you know, he's not Jungle Boy out there. Like, he's, he's a full-grown man that you have to throw around. So I, I felt like it was pretty uh, pretty impressive match between the two of them. Yeah, I feel like he's really imposing. <laughs> like, he kind of looks like Popeye when he takes that apron off. Like, he's a pretty massive individual. Um, and, yeah, Cassidy had to work for certain. Uh, I kind of appreciate that because as much as we had mentioned how fun it is to see him put on his little uh, routine of being the total slacker wrestler, um, it also is a nice reminder that how talented he is in ring action. And particular with uh, somebody like the Blade, who AEW is such an embarrassment of riches sometimes with these mid-card talents that I feel like he doesn't necessarily get as much attention as he warrants. But um, yeah, he, he's quite the performer and fantastic match all around. I'm curious to see which direction this goes, if this is going to be something that lingers for a while, because Cassie always feels like that guy who's on the periphery where it's almost like they reserve him knowing that at any point you can use him in title matches if need be. But in the meantime, we'll just have him rack up wins here and there, just keep his record pristine. But um, again, I'm not the biggest fan of him being tied up with a faction right now. I kind of prefer him just being the lone wolf slacker who shows up for comedy, but maybe that's just me. Yeah. I, I think the one thing too is that his, his intro is so great that I think they just like the ability to use it for like Chris Statlander as well. And the other, the other best friends. Hey, did you notice in this match the like near botch they have with the brass knuckles at the end? Yeah, it was, I have a feeling it's going to end up on botch mania, but yeah, the throw into the ring and somehow they like almost get fumbled out of the ring and then like knocked halfway across the ring and he's having to like scramble and get him all while the poor referees having to like, can, can I turn around yet? Can, can I look? <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, like I said, I, I still think the sting, uh, botching the, uh, 
Stinger Splash the night pre- or the previous night was a bit worse, but this one could have been a disaster had those things gotten lost under the apron. Yeah, especially that's a that's a small thing to find. All right, and you'll have to enlighten me before we get to the main event. Were there any other crazy promos other than the pain maker? Well, there was, <clears throat> there was the I will say the very welcome addition of Chavo Guerrero coming out with uh, mm-hmm. Andrade El Idolo. And I think that that's good because one thing that Andrade is not the strongest with is English promos, which, you know, the, you'll see it more, but I, I did deep dive on him a little bit. And that guy can go with like very few people in the world. So I'm, I'm super excited for him. And I'm, I'm glad that they've got Chavo there to kind of serve as, as a mouthpiece, especially because I think Vicky... You know, I've gone on about my love for Vicky, and I think she's phenomenal. But I think if you want to play this Latino wrestling angle, having Chavo being Eddie's nephew, having, you know, wrestled with so many of the great luchadors, I think he's a very good mouthpiece to give give some uh, credence to him. And the thing that I'm I'm just so intrigued by and kind of waiting for, because they even talked about it, is that the death triangle is now set up against them which has always been kind of an odd couple in the sense that you've got um, Penta and Phoenix and then um, Pac. And you've got a Scottish guy and two Mexican brothers. And they're all, I guess, you know, Pac's a high flyer for, you know, Scottish dude. But there's just this part of me that they keep referencing that he doesn't speak the language. So I just can't help but wonder how they're going to do like a wink if, there's a turn that happens because you got to say that on paper, the Lucha Bros joining with Andrade as the new head of the Death Triangle would also set up a pack versus them feud, which I think could be awesome. Um, but yeah, when they were initially going to the ring to run him out and Chavo kept being like, you don't understand what we're saying. I was just kind of waiting for the like turn and beat down. So intrigued to see where it goes, but if, uh, if it leads for now to a little, Andrade versus any of the members of Death Triangle, I think we're going to be in for some just absolutely phenomenal matches. I think that's a great, great summary of it. Um, And I think actually having him be able to showcase his abilities against any of those three, um, ideally all three, night in, night out, will be a fantastic way to, you know, encourage fans to actually realize how great of a wrestler Andrade is. It reminds me a lot of like, you'll see this in particularly the NFL where you see somebody get drafted, highly touted rookie, doesn't do crap for like the first two years, gets cut and all of a sudden explodes when they go to a new team because that team actually realizes how talented they really are. That's what it feels like with Andrade who went to WWE, didn't do shit really. And nobody really realized like how good he is, um, who was involved with that production. So now getting him a chance to really highlight it with three of the most athletic, talented members of AEW, I think is a no-brainer. And yeah, it was it was great to see Chavo back, and he he's an ideal, um, you know, manager in that sense. So I'm happy to see him back working, and and yeah, I mean the connection to the Guerrero family is always welcome. So no, loved it. And shout out to or. Bummer for Chava because he was the stunt coordinator for Glow, which got canceled for the last season. So glad to see he landed on speed. 
<laughs> I didn't know that. Again, you learn something new each time. Yeah, he was the wrestling trainer for all the, the women in it. And I think he had like one episode where he was in, but I saw a lot of the behind the scenes and he was legitimately out there like teaching Allison Bree and Betty Gilpin how to do like arm drags and stuff. So shout out to him. Hilarious. All right, diving into the main event, we had Lance Archer taking on John Moxley. This one was fun all around to me just because I'm a huge fan of both of these guys. It was nice seeing Jake the Snake fresh off of re-upping for two more years on his contract with AEW kind of uh you can almost get a sense that now that he has a bit more security he's like really kind of totally invested I mean he's always been to it but I don't think he like I think he's finally realizing that people actually like his presence there no I I agree with you 100% because I I don't think it was so much a like I don't want to put it out there because they're not paying me thing I think it was a am I just the flavor of the week here? Like, I don't want to upset the apple cart too much. Like I, you know, I think it was more, and you know, you hate to use the analogy, but I think with Jake, it's pretty accurate of like the beaten dog that doesn't trust the new home that Jake's had such, you know, a tumultuous, you know, career in life that I think the concept of this, you know, new company that brings him in and is treating him well, I think he was kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. And now I think, you know, the the re-up is just this thing where it's like, listen, man, you, you know, you're Jake the fucking snake and we're better for having you. So go out there and, you know, do what made you so great. So I, I think you're right in that he's, he's going to be re-energized. And I think that's going to be great for uh, Archer as, you know, he continues now that he's got this belt to be able to really learn from the best. And if you need, if he's going toe to toe with someone that can give the best promo, then, you know, maybe you go kind of the Brock and Heyman route. And then if, you know, because he, he's doing the the vignette or something, then, okay, Jake can hand it off to him and you can let him feed off that energy. So, no, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, and, you know, let's be honest, it's always good to see Jake the Snake doing better. So, couldn't agree more. And, yeah, uh, in particular, there was one moment where I don't know if Lance Archer actually bladed himself or if he just used a blood pack, but um, there was a super veteran move where Jake, like, positioned himself like perfectly where he could block out all the the view and i believe one of the announcers called it out like they were making it sound like oh look at him he's he's covering for the referee or something but it was like a very like well thought out like okay this guy's doing something that the crowd can't see i need to position my body to make sure that blocked off so and, and i think that yeah he's perfect for how they're using him lance archer is an incredibly imposing figure that can easily evolve into a cane like figure for AEW. It just he should he's not the best on the mic. And when you have one of the best mic skill guys of all time alongside him, who happens to also have a very, very gritty persona, it, it's a match made in heaven. And uh yeah. And then taking on Moxley, who I love him everything about him except for that damn entrance theme now. Um really, really hard to to get behind a death match coming up when you're walking out to freaking wild thing but you know yeah and i mean getting into the match though those guys fucking went for it and i I gotta say i was not entirely you know aware of it being a last man standing match which was something that i was really pleased to see because and you know once again props that i don't think that's a true to wwe gimmick but i think you know 
branding it as the Texas death match and then having it take place in Texas where Archer is from, I thought was all very clever and well done. Um, and yeah, I mean, those guys went for it. It was, it was hard hitting. They were all over the arena. I was impressed. Uh, what'd you, what you think about the match as a whole? I think the match was fantastic. I, I really enjoyed um, it. Yeah, I love the way it ended with uh, Moxley being the, the, you know, he's, he's never going to come. He's like the, the serial killer and like the slasher flick, like he's just going to keep coming. And like the only way you could really put him down based on the stipulation of the match was to get him tied up in barbed wire where he just couldn't escape. Otherwise he'd just keep coming at you. So um, I thought it was great. Again, uh, if the purpose of some of these matches and bookings are hundred percent to get folks to actually research some of these wrestlers and their histories, like I think they did a fantastic job in that regard. Cause I know Lance Archer has a pretty a substantial uh, international career alongside Moxley. Um, I guess my one criticism of it, and I'm on the fence on this because I do really appreciate the way the AEW is trying to integrate all these different like you know federations or companies um but at the same time it does lead to a bit of confusion at times when you real these things kind of pop out seemingly out of nowhere particularly if you're kind of more the casual fan i mean this was defending a belt that for all intents and purposes like i didn't know existed up until the previous week in the previous week, I only knew it existed because out of nowhere, Moxley's giving promos talking about some Japanese belt that he's had apparently for years or something. So, um, and then Lance Archer's laying claim to it. And again, and then all of a sudden the, the evening ends with Haku's son, you know, coming into the ring to stand toe to toe with Lance Archer and seemingly to challenge for said belt. And here's this figure that I have no idea who he is. Like, I can only imagine how I'd feel if I was at the show. I'd have no idea who this random giant is who just appeared. I think that he was some new exciting AEW star, but in actuality, no, he's just going to go back to his thing overseas and then he'll appear randomly for the next title of the fence seemingly in a few months. So um, I'm on the fence how I feel about this. I, I do appreciate it again because I do think it's a neat way to have a constant influx of new exciting matches and innovation and talent. But I also wonder like, is it almost too much? Is it too heady to where it can put off fans at a certain point? Yeah, I think, I think it's a fair concern. Um, Cause I think we also fall in kind of a weird category because we're not quite the casual, like just want to watch some guys beat each other up, but we're also not heavy enough that we are like, you know, I, I feel like I I'm spreading myself pretty thin trying to keep an eye on AEW and WWE. And then these guys are like, he's been tearing it up in impact and he just defended the such and such belt in the Tokyo dome. It's like, man, you guys really, you know, watch a lot of wrestling. So I, I get what you're saying because, you know, at the same time, there's that part of me that's like, Oh, that's a big guy. It'll be fun to watch them fight each other. But yeah, it seems like they were, you know, a lot more was supposed to have been taken away from it. Um, so I guess I'll be interested to see, especially this could be kind of a good test case of, do they mention it or give us any, you know, vignettes or things like that to build it? Or is it just in two weeks we get the, or, you know, a month we get, they're having the blow off match. It's kind of like, Oh shit. They, you know, they interacted on another promotion. Who knew? So it'll be interesting. Uh, coming back to your one point though, I do love the Moxley slasher comparison. 
um, in that I, I thought it was such a clever finish because I do, and I thought it was a better one because I think a couple of the last man standing matches, there's the inevitable like, oh my God, he's put the blank on him. And it's just like a, you know, fucking pile of tables or they drop the forklift on him or whatever. So I thought that the barbed wire was a very good touch, that it was the combination of getting chokeslammed through two tables with barbed wire and then the added, like, as you're trying to struggle to your feet, you're, you're trapped in the, uh, the wire. So I thought it was a, a clever ending that still made Mox look pretty strong in that it wasn't fatigue, it wasn't, you know, 47 chairs or anything. It was a good combination of the beating. So, no, I thought, I thought it was a great match to end on um, and just – Super impressive uh, two nights of wrestling. I mean, we, I feel like we, we did this pretty quick and we didn't even go very quick on it. So, you know, tip of the cap. And I, I do love that they keep naming their episodes. Like, it, it's funny because we knock WWE for having like, you know, 13 pay-per-views a year. But for some reason, like when I'm watching like fighter fest night one and two and then it's like fight for the fall in this week and it's like for some reason i completely eat it up and maybe it's because the storylines are independent and they actually have blow-offs each week you're not stuck waiting on a four-week cycle that oh you know fighter fest won't accomplish anything but fight for the fall is the big one but yeah just uh big big shouts to the fact that they're they're keeping me excited because you never know if it's going to be the last the last episode that uh, a storyline is on so excited to keep going well said i I think that sums it up kind of perfectly like i said my only very thin criticism was uh hikuleo is his name um who like i said the only reason i'm mildly opposed to it is just because it is so different from what we're accustomed to like you just described that kind of four-week cycle of like we got to build we got anything that's seen needs to immediately be utilized otherwise it's lost forever as we continue to churn forward versus the AEW approach, which is much more kind of paying homage to every aspect of the sport that we hold near and dear to our hearts here. So uh, I'm super, I was super pleased with fighter fest. It's super exciting to see them back um, out on the road again, because it's really neat to see the production, like be truly what it is and to see just some of the matches these guys are putting on and gals for that matter. Um, just in front of a live crowd is is damn impressive because again I contend week in week out that this is pay-per-view level wrestling uh, but on your weekly broadcast instead so oh you nailed it it's a great time to be a wrestling fan right on well any other thoughts on fighter fest night one and two no uh, just super excited for fight for the fallen now All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. You take care.